Um, normally I would read through ver- verses, but we're concluding Amos today, so there's really no verses to go over. So instead, Betsy, before we continue, I'm going to read the first two verses of Amos and then the last verse of Amos, because that's what we're covering. <laughs> One till the end. Um, and you're wondering, how are we going to do all that? Oh, we'll see. So verse, and this isn't on the PowerPoint, so. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherd mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Now, the last, those were the first two verses of Amos, and then the last, let's do the last, now we'll do last one. Um, verse 15, 9 15. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Um, throughout Amos, we've seen different themes. Um, and when we think about this, we see that often in scriptures. Usually the authors or the prophets, they all have something that they're trying to convey to us or to their readers. Um, and Amos is no different. The prophecies of Amos are all trying to convey something, and it's something that is wonderful. It's the judgment of God, but it's also in the end his mercy and his grace and his hope. Um, and so it's with this that we're going to look at though, some of the themes and how they are seen throughout of all of Amos. And the first one is judgment. Um, now, the judgment that God had, it started with, you know, all these physical things happening. It started with the um, rising of floods. It started with famine. It started with um, the continuation of the locusts and the plagues. And we notice that all of these themes, all of these um, judgments were actually judgments which were promised to the Israelites if they disobeyed the law and if they were faithless. And so they've had them all, all of them except for two. Um, And at that point, and in Amos, we see that God will indeed give them two final judgments. One of them is the silencing of the prophets, and then the other one is exile. And so the question that we want to ask is, What have they done? What are they doing precisely that Amos points them out and says, that's where you messed up? And so the first one is injustices. And we think of um, the war injustices. And actually, it wasn't even uh, Israel and Judah who um, who were in trouble for this. It was actually those pagan nations who were going into Israel and Judah, and they were taking and beating them ferociously. And in wartime, it makes us think. Um, it makes us think of, and I use the analogy of Poland during the World War II. And if anyone knows the history of World War II, um, when the Nazis invaded Poland, it was a slaughterhouse. They just went in with their tanks and they were fighting against men on horseback. And if you've ever been on horseback against a tank, you know what's going to happen. You're going to lose. Um, And that's what was happening in Judah and in Israel. These pagan nations were coming in and they were just slaughtering them without mercy. And God doesn't like that. He doesn't like that at all. Because why? Because it treats those humans as less than human. It treats them less than the dignity which they deserved. Now that leads to the next one, which is war and social justice. Um, And that's slavery. These same pagan nations would go ahead and make raids on Israel and Judah, and they would capture their women and their children and send them off into slavery. 
Same problem. The issue is that they're not treating these humans as humans. They're not treating them with dignity, respect, honor, sanctity of life, dignity of life. But there's other injustices. Social injustice, the trampling of the poor. And this is one that Judah and Israel were very seriously committing. They were not being good to the poor. And when the text would talk about trampling the poor, it was talking about how Israel and Judah would make it so that the poor could never rise up. The rich were above them in their tall castles, looking down, and the poor were just slaves, never able to rise out of it. That leads to another social problem, the corrupt business practices. They were making up the weight, so to speak. Again, I would, it's like if you were to go to the store and you were to pick up a gallon of milk and it says one gallon on the milk, but really inside there was less than a gallon. That's their corrupt business practices. They were making it so that that which they thought they were giving and getting was wrong. And that's not right. We can see how that's not right. And then it keeps on going. Social. Uh, the rejection of those who are righteous. Um, and we saw this in those texts that are mentioned. 2.12, 5.10. And the, the exact example of Amaziah with Amos himself when he says, Amos, stop prophesying. Go back. Go to your homeland. Stop prophesying here in Israel. That's a social problem. When the righteous are rejected, the prophets are rejected, the Nazarites are the rejected. These are all serious atrocities to God. And it's because of these things that the judgment has to happen. And so that leads us, okay, what is our response to injustice? How do we react? Are we okay if we were to do all these things? Is it okay for us to go to war and say to our soldiers, hey, you slaughter them. You take no prisoners. That's a dangerous thought. Are they human? What about those who surrender? Do we just shoot them? What do we do? You don't think you'd get that from Amos, do you? But there's a social problem. Whenever we face a war, we have to answer these questions. What do Christians say? When it comes to um, slavery, what do we say? You don't think there's slavery today? There is. Um, recently, Chris and I went to a concert, Andrew Peterson concert. And uh, I love Andrew Peterson, and you're nodding your head, so I'm hoping that you do as well. <laughs> um, but no, we went to an Andrew Peterson concert, and something that Andrew Peterson was advocating was International Justice Mission. And International Justice Mission is a group of lawyers who go into these areas where young children are being sold as sex slaves. Young children are being forced to work Nonstop throughout the day, getting paid nothing. Young children are being taken from their families to work. And they go in and they persecute those people and they take them to the law and they go to jail. Beautiful when you think about it in some way, but awful the fact that it still happens. And so, what is our response? There's a good response right there. International Justice Mission. We need to be the first ones to stand up and say, you know what, we're not going to accept these practices. We need to abolish slavery no matter what it looks like. Um, and then when we think about corrupt business practices, um, not many of us own a business. Mike, you do. <laughs> and so that's kind of more for you, I guess. But you know what? We have to be the first ones to say, you know what, we're not going to treat our customers. We're not going to treat our employees in ways that are dishonoring to God. Because when we treat them bad, we end up saying to God, your image is ugly. That's a dangerous thing to say. Um, and then a rejection of those who are righteous. 
Our society does that enough. The church has to stand up and say no. But let's go ahead. Seek good and justice. And this is what we read from Amos in particular. Seek, uh, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnants of Joseph. And then also from Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's our response. Seek good, not evil. Seek righteousness, not unrighteousness. That's what God wants from us. That's what we're learning from Amos. The prophet is still speaking to us today. And these words are the most important words in all of Amos right here. To remember that we are responsible. That we cannot seek injustice ourselves, but that we are to seek justice and the righteousness of God. Now, that of course leads us to some more things we found in Amos. Another theme, which is false religion and lifestyle. Um, now let's consider them. A religion that allowed them to believe what they wanted. Um, and we see that. We use the word syncretism. And syncretism is when you take one thing and you add it to another. And what they were doing was they were believing in Yahweh, the God of Israel, but they were also believing in Baal. They were also believing in the pagan gods. And they were putting them all together with the Asherah. And they were saying, you know what? This is what God wants. This is how we're supposed to believe. This is the way in which we are to serve God. It is by syncretizing everything. And you know what? If we just syncretize everything, then we're not going to get it wrong, are we? Because God's being worshipped no matter what. Um, however, they're judged for that. <laughs> God says, no. There is a right way to believe. There is a right thing to believe. There is a right way to have a religion. And the religion that the Jewish people have and that we have is from God himself. One of the greatest songs I can think of is by Rich Mullins, um, and it's called Creed. And in it, he goes through the Apostles' Creed. It's just a song that says the Apostles' Creed. And, the last, and one of the most important things he says is, I did not make it, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. And how true is that of the Christian faith? It is not invented by us. It is invented by God. But that also leads to lifestyle. And we saw how in Amos, the people, they were living a self-serving lifestyle, a self-love lifestyle. And how do we see that? They were reclining on couches. They were eating all the great foods. They were buying the expensive perfumes with no regard to the poor. They didn't care about the poor in any way. And ultimately is, again, their materialism, which is seen. And, well, we'll get into that in a second. But right now, we see how these two things basically affected the entire society. Their lifestyle and their false religion. 
permeated the society from the top to the bottom in all ways. So what's our response? What is our response to false religion and lifestyle? Seeking true religion and lifestyle by seeking God. And the verse I have here comes from Amos 5 as well. Amos 5, by the way, is a really good chapter to memorize. (laughs) There's a lot in Amos 5 that's awesome. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. And what's interesting about Beersheba and Bethel, as we recall, is that they had these sanctuaries. They had these places where the people could go and they could worship. And they were worshiping the syncretism. They were worshiping these gods of Yahweh. They were worshiping Baal at these places. And God is saying, no, don't seek these things. Seek me above all. So what is the response to the materialism? What is the response to um, their false religion? It is to first and foremost seek God above everything else. And we see that. We see how... um, And this is a problem, actually, I would say. This is where I was kind of laughing and chuckling earlier, is that this is the problem we have in American Christianity. The materialism and the syncretism. The materialism of our lifestyles, in which first and foremost is me only, and then the syncretism of our religion. I remember one time a famous, um, an unfortunately famous, well-known postmodern preacher named Rob Bell uh, he got together with a really well-known Buddhist teacher and said, oh yeah, Jesus and Buddha are the same person. Same. They're not. <laughs> at all. If you were to look at Buddhism and see how it basically says, okay, the self is worthless, that the physical is worthless, and then you were to take Christianity, which says, no, the self is good. It was made by God. It needs redemption. You would find in the end that they are not the same. But again, that leads to another thing, materialism. Not only do we have people within our congregations who focus solely on themselves above the poor, but we also have a problem with our congregations as a whole, looking at materialism. Um, If you notice on the back of your bulletin today, there was a very good joke that even shows this. Uh, And it's by Adam Ford. I'm going to go ahead and... Nope, that's the wrong one. Um, But if you go ahead and read it, basically the gist of it is this. There's a pastor who's working on a sermon. And the, a man comes up to him and says, hey, what you working on? And he says, oh, well, I'm talking about how we're going to um, do this and do that. And the man says in response, well, why don't you just preach from the scriptures? And the pastor responds, don't you understand we have a gun shirt cannon? And a gun shirt cannon is what they do at concerts when they want to throw a shirt really far into the audience so that they can have something to take home with them. They'd fire it from a cannon and it would go out into the audience. And the point is that our congregations are doing these kinds of things. Our congregations are so focused on the here and the now and focused on entertainment that they're not worried about theology. Um, And ultimately, this comes down to numbers. Numbers Ones and zeros are the most important thing that I've found congregations are looking for. Zeros and ones. And it makes you wonder, why is that? Is it possible that the American dream of prosperity has permeated into the church so that the focus is no longer on God, but on numbers, 
on how do we get people into our congregations? How do we make it so that this materialism which pervades our society from top to bottom is now right in front of us every week on Sunday? And if you say, okay, that doesn't happen, (laughs) go read a Joel Osteen book. And you think I'm kidding, but it's true. That's the theology, is God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's all that matters. But in Christianity, true Christianity, that's not what matters. What, makes, what matters most, seek me and live. The point of Christianity is that we have life. Life, abundant life. And so while, you know what, blessings are great. Numbers are great. Um, It's great when we have prosperity. It's great when God is blessing us in these ways, but do not let that become the focus because that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what Israel did. And if you want to see Israel back then, look at our society now. I mean, it's amazing to me when we think about it. When we really think about how the scriptures are teaching truth, because truth will not die. And that's what, it, what we see. We see the truth being spoken because the truth is still relevant 2,000, 3,000 years later. It's relevant for our society today. And so that, again, is what we need to do. When we consider our lifestyles and when we consider our religion, the first and foremost must be a focus on God. Um, Okay, now that leads us to the next point, which is sovereignty. Um, And this is something that, you know, our congregation doesn't have really a problem with this concept of sovereignty of God. Um, We talk about it a lot. Mike Mike talked about it today in Sunday school, for example, but um, he may not know it, but he did, (laughs) in regards to how, uh, how many blessings and gifts charisma Charisma is a gift that's given to us by God. And it's interesting to consider that redemption is a gift of God. Therefore, God is sovereign, even over redemption. Um, But that's not the focus right now. The focus is over nations. And we see that um, from Amos chapter 1 to Amos chapter 9. The whole thing is permeated by God doing something in the nations. And the first few chapters are over pagan nations. Now, that should give us hope because technically America is not a Christian nation. It is a pagan nation by definition. So if God is sovereign over pagan nations, that should give us hope that he can even turn our nation to truth. Um, And it's interesting to see. Uh, We see Damascus, Philistia, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab. All of these enemies of Israel are being judged by God because he is sovereign over them too. And so that is where we want to remember that God being sovereign over nations means that he is also sovereign over us. And then that also leads to another thing that God is sovereign over, and that's nature. The rain falls and the snow falls. The floods rise and the mountains quake. And sometimes we think, okay, it's just dumb luck. Sometimes we think that bounty is just luck. And sometimes we think that, okay, um, we have a bad harvest. Man, if the Himalayas weren't there. And, and there's a joke in there because the Himalayas, if you, re- if you listen to any commentaries on, um, on weather or anything like that, they say that the Himalayas basically control all the weather across the world because of the way that they're set up. And so if they're not there, you never know what would happen. Um, 
And it's interesting. If you were just to tear down the Himalayas, I wonder what would happen. But that's not important. The point is, is that over nature, God is sovereign over nature. And that means that when we go out into the night sky and we look up and we can say, surely God is with us because we can look up and see that the sky itself is glorifying God. It's praising God. And we always go back to the psalm, surely the heavens declare the glory of God. It's true. How many times have you gone out and looked up and just thought, wow, how great is our God? Or how many times have you gone up to the mountain and said, this is wonderful, praise God. All of nature cries out for us to worship God because he is sovereign over it. But the question is, What should our response be to the sovereignty of God? How should we be? What should we look for when we consider the sovereignty of God? And that is to trust in God's sovereignty. In uh, the Gospels, Jesus talks about how, you know what? God clothes the flowers of the field and he provides for the sparrows. And Jesus goes on to say, will he not also take care of you? How often in our times of struggle, how often in our times when it's a drought in our lives spiritually, or when the appliances die, or the car dies, or when the bees invade your house, (laughs) and in Carissa's case, when your husband runs from the bees, (laughs) how often, how often do we sit there and then we think, Oh, man, God could never turn any of this around. (laughs) They're bees, after all. Um, But no, how often do we do that to ourselves? How often do we think, how often actually do we doubt God? How often do we come to the conclusion, you know what? Maybe God isn't sovereign over this. Maybe this is something that's happening, and you know what? Maybe God has no control. And Amos tells us, stop. God is sovereign even over these things. He's sovereign over the pebbles on the beach. He's sovereign over the galaxies. And he's sovereign over all of the universe. Not just little things, but big things. And if he is sovereign, and if he's able to uphold the water, and if he's able to uphold the sky, and if he's able to uphold the universe in his hand, why do we doubt him? Why should we doubt him in our times of struggle? No, instead, we trust in it. Because our God, we know. And we know that he is a God of grace, he is a God of mercy, and he is a God of love. And being a God of love, we know that his sovereignty is leading us somewhere, and that is further into his wonderful glory. And that that means that during the hard times and the sorrowful times, when all of these things in life are happening, that in the end, we're being led to something beautiful. And it gives us one more thing too. And that's a recognition that there's purpose. Do you know how many people live on the planet and the bad things that happen to them have no purpose whatsoever? It just happens. But with God, there is a purpose. And it's something that we can continue to look forward to. Now the final thought, the final theme that comes into Amos is hope. 
Um, And we see this hope. We see it in the remnant. How there will be a remnant after the sifting that happens. And this remnant is going to be the ones who are going to inherit. And they're going to have a great deal of abundance. And that abundance is something which is wonderful. And the way that the abundance was said in Amos, and especially this last chapter, was um, it would be like the sower and the harvester running into each other because there's just so much bounty that they can't keep up. And it's wonderful to consider. It's beautiful to consider. I love the imagery of these verses. Um, And let's go ahead and read this, especially verses 9, 13 through 15. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hill shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And again, that's Amos nine thirteen through 15. And let's just keep that up there because you know what? That's where the... Okay, you can go. You can exit it if you want. <laughs> okay, thanks, Betsy. Um because that's the hope. You know what? We have all of this dreariness in the prophets, but there's always that one moment when everything is turned around after the judgment. Now, I know what we're thinking. You know what? This sounds great for them, but what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with the church? What does this talk of abundance about them being planted on their land have to do with us? And the answer is Jesus. Because you know what? All of this is fulfilled in the end through Christ. When we think about the abundance that comes, and we think about how Jesus called the kingdom of God like a mustard seed. Why? Because the mustard seed, though it was the smallest, it would come out and be a giant bush. And in the end, Christ said, you know what? That's what it's like. There's an abundance It starts off small, but it will grow. And that makes me think of Isaiah, when um, how Isaiah prophesies that the word of the Lord, when it is spoken, it does not return empty. And the hope there has to do with the gospel, how when Christ says to you and to me that we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, when he says that to us, we have an abundance. We have a continuation and we have an eternal hope. And that again leads us to this last point, which is again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is in him that the abundance is found. And when we think about it too, in Christ, there is no judgment. Let's consider that. The people back then, they were judged. They were judged for their gross iniquities. They were judged for all of what it was that they deserved judgment for. Now, in Christ, do you get a judgment? No. In Christ, you are now saved. You are freed from the judgment. And in Amos, though we see the judgment, we see what we deserve. But we see in Christ, now, what we don't get, which is judgment. And therefore, what we do get is abundance. And that's the wonderful thing about Christ, is that 
we tend to think that the Old Testament is all about these ancient peoples and places, and we looked at the maps over and over again, and we're thinking, oh man, these maps are crazy. Um, But in the end, all of the Old Testament is leading us further into the gospel. And every time you see judgment, you see the gospel. Every time you see redemption, you see the gospel. Um, It permeates it. When you think of even the earliest stories of Adam and Eve, you think of the, your descendant will crush the serpent's head and he shall strike your heel. That's a prelude to Jesus. Go a little bit further to Noah's Ark. How just a few are saved through the flood. That's pointing us to Jesus. Think about Abraham and how his son Isaac is spared. That's a prelude to Jesus. These typologies. And it's the same thing with Amos. The judgment has passed over. The abundance has come. The sifting is occurring even now in our societies. And those who belong to Christ have hope. Um, And so again, we think about all these themes that permeated throughout Amos. We think about how so many of these themes we see even today in our own society over and over again. We see the gross injustices. We see um, how our society has fallen into a state of immorality. That's what happened in Amos too. We see how our society around us is a post-Christian society. And what that means is is that they're not holding on to these Christian ideas. Um, It looks at, you know what, my generation is awful with this. And that is that we like to syncretize. We like to say, okay, I'm going to pick and choose my religion. I like to say, okay, you know what, I'll take a little bit of Christianity, I'll take a little bit of Hinduism, I'll take a little bit of Islam, and I'll take a little bit of atheism, and mix it together and say, okay, that's God. We syncretize too. But what do we need? We need the gospel. We need to hear the words of Amos and see, okay, he's pointing us somewhere. He's warning us just the way that he was warning them. He's warning our society. You have placed Judah and Israel with America. You have the same exact problem. The difference is, though, is that we live in a place where the gospel can permeate. The gospel in which... God created all of this universe, and we can share that. We can say that, you know what? God created humanity in his image. That through him, we have this dignity, this sanctity, this understanding of the worth of human life. When we can think and say, okay, why why is it able that I'm able to feel? How can I think on my own? Why is there artistry? Why is it that we can love? Why are we humans so different than anything else on the planet? I mean, to the atheists, they'll just say, you know what? We aren't any different. Christianity has a response. We're made in the image of God. However, the problem with, with us <laughs> is that like God, we're able to choose. And so because of that, we chose sin and death. Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey God. And as soon as that happened, the land was cursed. Humans were cursed. And because of that, We have hardships. Because of that, we have societies that crumble. Because of that, we have sin that permeates every ounce of humanity. And so that which is so beautiful to consider, when you hold a newborn babe, can grow up to become a monster. Or, 
when you can consider that those who are raised in good Christian homes can turn around and become things that make us weep. How does that happen? Because of sin. And it's because of our choices. But in the end, that's where all the darkness and that's where the judgments all happen. But in the end, we have a hope. And that is Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. And it is by Him alone that we are saved. And we can go ahead and we can proclaim it from the rooftops. That the way that we have a correct lifestyle, the way that we have justice, the way that we understand true religion is by Jesus Christ. And He has been pointed to throughout the entire time. The prophets were saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And we understand that and we can see it. And it's through him that all of these things are redeemed. It's through him that we can promote artistry. It's through him that we can gain knowledge. It is through him that our loves and our passions can be turned around and turned toward God the right way. And all that God requires of us is to just simply turn in repentance in our lifestyles and to believe what we're supposed to believe. That all he wants from us is to seek him with our lives and to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And if we have true belief and if we have true lifestyles, it will glorify God 100%. But for those who don't, the sifting happens. For those who don't, who continue to live in their sin, who continue to go on day by day not loving God, and who live for self above all else, they don't have life. And like Amos warned, if they don't have life, then they don't have God. And if they don't have God, they die. And there's no hope. But for those who are in Christ, there is hope. And it's in Him that we continue to look every day for the future. Because our future is bright. Our future, there is hope. In our future, Christ wins. And that all the judgment and all the pain and all the sorrow, it has a purpose. And that's what we cling to. And that is what I think our society needs. When we consider all of the themes in Amos and we consider in the end all that we've seen, we see a society that is exactly like the society in Amos. And what that society needs is for us to stand up and say no more. What it needs is for us to seek God, to seek justice, to seek good. But that also means that we have to be bold enough to do so. And that's a scary thing. Um, and I guess this will be the last story. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations in my life. And, uh, but recently, you know, I'll, I'll get on Facebook and I'll have a conversation with an atheist or I'll have a conversation with an agnostic or whoever. And um, they, they don't like us at all. <laughs> the majority of the conversations, even if you're not attacking them, you're just saying, hey, look at this idea, they will reject you outright. And that's the majority of the time that I have is that these people, they'll just say, okay, you're crazy okay, that's not true. They won't give you a reason why it's not true. They'll just say it's not. 
And so that's when Christianity, when we have to stand up and say, okay, we're, we're going to be bold even though these people are just going to reject us. Even though we might have a moment like Amos did with Amaziah who says, stop prophesying, we need to keep on prophesying. And even though it's going to hurt us, we can know that God's on our side. And I think that's, in the end, the last real point with the gospel is the boldness of Amos. To keep on keeping on. To fulfill our ministry. And to keep on serving our God with all of our hearts. In all of life. In all of ways. Amen. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for Amos. We thank you for the prophecies which have come down to us even today. And we thank you that you have given us opportunity. Opportunity to serve you in a society which rejects you. Because that means that we can continue to seek you. And that we can know the difference between right and wrong. And we can show this world the difference between right and wrong. And so Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you that the judgment has ceased. And we thank you that we are on this side when we can look back and say, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins. And that it is by him we have an abundance which overflows forever. Again, we thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our second to final hymn, Come Thou Fount.